Hey y'all, welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA, working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. In tonight's episode, I speak with a candidate who wants to unseat Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, Joe Jaworski. Joe is a third-generation Texas trial attorney and former mayor of Galveston, Texas. Joe earned his bachelor's from North Carolina's Davidson College and his law degree from the University of Texas at Austin. Joe owns and operates his own law firm in Galveston, Texas, and 2021 marks his 13th year in practice. Let's meet Joe and hear what he wants to do for Texas in his own words. Hello, Joe, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Well, Gramps, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I can tell you I've really been looking forward to this conversation ever since I found out you were running for office and uh, what your position is on a few topics that are very near and dear to my heart. So, without further ado, tell us what made you decide to run for Texas Attorney General. Sure. I mean, 30 years ago, Gramps, uh, I finally became a lawyer. And the reason I say finally uh, is in 1991, when I took the oath of my profession, it would have been four years earlier had I not grown my hair long out of college and played in a rock band across America for four years. So that's a whole other story. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, please listen to my band, Other Bright Colors, on iTunes and Spotify and all the major platforms. Anyway, sure check that, that out. <laughs> that's right. And I, I see, um, you know, you know, it's good to know that your public servants have uh, have a soul uh, and a spirit. Sure. But uh, 30 years ago, Gramps, I took that oath, and you know, I've lived um, a life of service, and it's been a good, you know, run. Um, and there's a way that lawyers, the good ones anyway, treat each other. It's you know, you tell the truth. You know, you you're a zealous advocate, just like you'd expect on the on the sports field. You know, you want to hit hard and hopefully win. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you know, you can put your arm around your opponent and and go have a drink or, you know, whatever. Um, let me just tell you right now in Texas politics, you can't trust the Texas GOP to lead with integrity anymore. And there is no greater example, no worse example, probably than Ken Paxton. So. Uh, after serving as a city council member and a mayor of my city, I was very transparent during those times. I've taken about a 10-year break uh, to raise my family and you know make money and pay for the obligations of life. Well, m- much of the mature responsibilities have been met. Uh, the, the kids are in you know school, out of the house, we're empty nesters. It's time to serve again, Gramps. And last summer, you know, after the umpteenth you know, Trump, COVID briefing, and just watching everyone genuflecting to the president in Texas, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have a say about this. And so I decided last July, actually, 2020, to run for the Texas Attorney General's office. Why that seat? Well, I'm a lawyer, and there's no gerrymandering in that. You run statewide, and uh, it it is a opportunity to use my skill set, which I do not consider politics. I consider legal 
and ethical legal representation. I want to be the people's lawyer, Gramps. Sure. I could totally respect that. So tell us a little bit more about your background as far as being a lawyer and, and how you decided to become a lawyer and maybe a little family background there that, that everybody doesn't know about. Sure. Well, I am a third generation Texas trial lawyer. And so it, you know, it starts with just being a little kid and watching your dad and watching your granddad mm -hmm. uh, do their thing. I mean, it has an impact. Uh, and I think anyone who followed their father or grandfather into their profession, whether it's blacksmithing or, you know, air conditioning or, or law understands what I'm saying. So Leon Jaworski uh, uh, grew up in Texas and was the youngest uh, person ever licensed by the Texas Supreme Court to practice law. I mean, he lived on a dirt floor with his preacher father, um, and he was an immigrant. Uh, he was born in Texas, but his father was an immigrant from Germany. They spoke German in the household. I mean, it's very humble beginnings. And yet he rose to great prominence as the Watergate special prosecutor when his country needed him the most. Uh, mm -hmm. His life was one of public service grants. Uh, he, he prosecuted Nazis, uh, at Auschwitz and Dachau and the Russellheim Death March, and he helped prepare, da uh, you know, Nuremberg. Um, mm -hmm. He served Lyndon Baines Johnson and, and Attorney General Robert Kennedy. Uh, he served on the on the Warren Commission, and and he made his place in history with Watergate. Well, my dad's a good lawyer too, uh, and and I used to get up and have coffee with him as he would get ready for trial. So these are some very basic memories I have. I became a lawyer, like I said, after playing music for a while and was very pleased to go to law school. So I went to University of Texas School of Law and have been doing personal injury representation, both on the defense and then later plaintiff's side for 30 years. And now I'm a full-time mediator. Now think about that, Gramps. That's a, a good skill set to have in politics, you know. Sure. It involves, yeah, it involves active listening. Of course, I'm doing all the talking right now, but I'm, I'm getting interviewed, <laughs> so I guess that's okay. Um, but, but, you know, active listening and, and trying to be creative with solutions. And we need a little more of that, I think, in our public, public hemisphere. Absolutely. Uh, feels from an advocate's perspective, uh, that we're so easily shut out in Austin from so many different offices, including the attorney general's office. You know, I've, I've tried to contact Ken Paxton's office in regard to my, number one effort, which is legalization of full medical cannabis program here in Texas. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know my entire story or what prompted me to, to get started in this, but I lost a 23-year-old son in 2016 to epilepsy oh. who simply refused to break the law to, to attempt to use cannabis to treat his, his seizures. And uh, you know, as a father... I mean, I could do nothing but totally respect his wishes, but also at the time, uh, you know, I had full admission, I was a user for 26 plus years prior to this point in time. And, uh, I, I wasn't at that point in time, but, uh, I had 26 years in the past. So I knew about cannabis. I knew how to get it. I knew how to get my hands on it. You know, I told him we'll get it, but, uh, Long and short of it was he wouldn't break the law, so we never went there. And it wasn't until after uh, he passed that I really learned the realities behind 
why cannabis became illegal in the first place, and uh, also the realities of the, the mountains and mountains of research around the world there are to show its medical efficacy. And so at first it was anger, and then that, that of course, has rolled into activism. That's, that's the only way I knew to deal with the anger, you know, that I had. But in Austin, you know, you try to talk to some people, you get basically either no response in, in the instance of when I, when I contacted Ken Paxton, not one response. So, you know, you can understand the frustration. Now, I did get good responses from, uh, you know, state representative, senator, those, those arenas. But anything above that level, forget it, you know. Yeah, unacceptable. And, of course, you know, like everything else he gets in trouble for, Ken Paxton uh, has now just proved, based on your story, the number one thing that lawyers get in trouble for, which is, not returning their clients' phone calls. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I know he's 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 got a few more clients than than your average lawyer, but all he ha- he has a staff of forty two hundred. Sure. Okay. So sure. You, you do the math, Ken Paxton. Make it work. You know, instead of suing people over these frivolous lawsuits to overturn an election, you know, maybe you could dedicate some more resources to returning your constituents' phone calls. You know. Uh... That's a good point. And, and you know, I, I have to point out personally, from a personal perspective, I don't claim either party. In fact, I don't claim any party. I spent the better part of 40 years doing nothing but studying uh, politics, government, economics, the whole bit after an argument when I was 10 years old with my father about that the very subject of government. And it just inspired me to be intrigued for many, many years. And that, 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 uh, research aspect of me only switched to cannabis after losing my son. But, uh, you know, I, I've said for years, probably decades easily that the whole right left argument is 99% of the problem. We need to get beyond that and just get back to listening to what, what the, the wants and needs are of the people and yeah. move forward. But you can't get anybody to agree with that. <laughs> right. There, I, you know, you're really hitting on something there. And it, it just has to do with what are your priorities? Uh, is, it, is it to remain in office by domination? You know, I'll get more money. I'll prevent anyone from even thinking about running for my seat. Or do you want to remain in office because you did a good job? You know, sure. I, I, you know there are opportunities for objective agreement and this this what's the word binary choice between republican and democrat or conservative and liberal you know that's that's just the tv talking at you absolutely and and what i tell people is neither cnn nor fox are going to tell me what my priorities are you know you know there there's a little little thing that i told my my boys both of them when they're growing up and and when my grandsons get old enough i'll be telling them the same thing um you know when when we were kids uh, i'm sure you and i are probably pretty close to the same age but when we were kids there were three television channels mm-hmm. right there there was no cable tv there was no internet you know, there were three television channels, and uh, 
the news came on three times a day. It came on at six in the morning for 30 minutes, five in the evening or six, depending on where you lived, right. and at 10 o'clock at night. And all three news broadcast were 30 minutes. You got a little news. You got a little sports. You got a little weather. You got a little local hoopla. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And everything that was on there, and the same could be said for the for the for the uh, printed publications. Anything that was printed form or in broadcast news was vetted information. And the secondary thing was anything that found out later was incorrect. They automatically printed a retraction, or you saw a little blip at the end of the news broadcast a few days later that said, this story we aired a few days ago, we have to correct this point, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you right. don't see that anymore, for sure. You you know, know. The, news, the news cycle you know, is, is like one of those fountains that just recycles water. You know, you know, It sprays it out, and then it gets sucked back in, sprays it out. I mean, the attention span has suffered because of it. What constitutes news is no longer what you and I considered news. Well, well, news is, this is my opinion. Mind you, everybody's got one. We know the saying about that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, this is my observation as well as my opinion. The news, thanks to the beginning of, and I believe CNN, the cable news network, was the first one out there to be 24-hour news. Yeah. From, from the beginning of 24-hour news broadcasts, and anybody and everybody can put it out there. You don't even have to be a journalist. Uh, news has become all 100% sensationalism to get ratings, so we get the advertisers, so we make the money. It's no longer about news and reporting, this is what happened here, you know, this is what happened there. It's about the ratings. That's why everything you see is breaking now. Breaking right. now. And, and, and yet things happen, you know, every day that need to be reported, you know? And so, Absolutely. so it's, you know, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater, you know, pe people don't believe anything they hear, but we need for our own livelihood, our own health, our survival, we need to be able to agree that certain things are happening or aren't ha happening. Sure. Sure. Like things that, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, there's things that science has proven are happening. We need to understand them and do what we can to change them if we can. You yep. know, there, there's also things that science has proved is eh, maybe not quite so bad. But right. and there's other things that we don't know the science on yet, like COVID. It's all it's evolving day to day. You know, right. that's that's something I, I argue with people all the time. You know, I don't really have a position on it other than the fact we only know what we know so far, which is about 18 and a half months worth of information, which That's is right. not anything compared to what we know about virtually every other medical condition there is. Sure. So, but we're getting off on another tangent there. Watching things unfold, though, what with mandates and mandates that you can and cannot have mandates and, and all that good stuff. What's your position on local cities and counties' ability to regulate their own areas for themselves? Yeah, so in short, I'm a fan of local decision-making authority. As a former mayor, I, I know something the Texas GOP has apparently forgotten. 
local government is the best government, Gramps. It's the best government because it is the most responsive government. And so what I tell people is, you know, let local leaders who often get it right, but when they get it wrong, you know what? The voters can let them have it. And, and it's as simple as going to the city council meeting every two weeks and getting on the agenda or not. You just walk up and do the three-minute non-agenda item. Um, it, that is a lot better than the example you gave of Ken Paxton not returning your phone call. And, and I know they've got 30 million people to deal with versus communities of varying sizes. But sure. all, all the more reason why Greg Abbott and Dan Patrick and their conciliary, Mr. Paxton, need to lift their authoritarian thumb off the ability of local leaders to decide. So, you know, and it may be different among different cities, like let Abilene be Abilene, you know, let Tyler be Tyler, let Brownsville be Brownsville, et cetera. Well, I mean, that is, from my understanding, uh, that has been one of the number one principles behind conservatism. You know, from the federal level, it's let the states be the states. And from yeah. the state level, it's let local be local. It's called federalism. There and, you go. And and you're right. I mean, it traditionally was considered a conservative, you know, policy. And and I'm I'm trying to think of even a more direct word because, you know, we think of well, the Republicans are the conservatives. So if they're not doing it, then what would you call it? Look, what they're doing is wrong. Um, and and I think a local approach. I mean, that is truly the descriptor. And, and I will say it's like they dropped the ball and forgot they fumbled at the 40 yard line. Well, I'm picking that ball up and I'm running the other way. And, and because it's the right thing to do, I'm, I'm running to go score and it's the right thing to do, especially um, with the fact that Texas continues to grow Gramps you know, cities are becoming more like cities and rural is losing some of its population, but all the more reason to let rural be rural. Um, And yet we all have to have basic amenities like broadband, clean water. But, you know, you talk about cannabis. I know we're going to spend some time on that. I mean, you know, the people in the city want it. Well, you know what? The rural would like to grow it. And, and, you know, there is a handshake in the making. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Pardon the short break for a word from our sponsors. Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about cannabis and cannabis law reform is brought to you by Something Has to Change, and now working through advocacy to educate, agitate, and motivate millions in order to end the prohibition of plants. Visit www.facebook.com slash something has to change and now for more information because it really is pretty simple folks something has to change and now are you enjoying the guests and content Gramps is bringing you each week do you want him to continue to bring you the guests and insights on these important public issues remember Gramps does this all on his own. No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Think about making a monthly donation to help support the Gramps Place podcast today. It is as simple as visiting anchor.fm slash gramps hyphen place slash support and setting up a monthly donation. It can be as small as 99 cents per month. You would be surprised at how much that can help. 
As always. Gramps Place thanks you for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about cannabis and cannabis law reform. You know, uh, well, I, I, from what I said earlier, obviously, I'm I'm extremely active advocate for cannabis law reform, both here in Texas, as well as at the national level. I've lobbied both in Austin and in D.C. Uh, tell Texas voters what what your position is on the cannabis issue as a whole. And uh, are you for a better, more inclusive medical program or should we let you know, the cat completely out of the bag and go full adult use. What's your position? So first off, you know, as a candidate for Texas attorney general, you know, I, I certainly admit that once in office, I can't pass a law by myself, but sure. I do believe, right. But I do believe that a candidate for statewide office has a unique opportunity and responsibility to stoke the fires of public discourse while campaigning. And certainly you have that obligation, the bully pulpit, as we call it, once you're in office. Uh, 50 years ago, John Hill, who was campaigning for Texas Attorney General in 72, advocated for a a, a fraud statute that would allow people uh, who get ripped off to sue he who ripped them off and get attorney's fees if they win. We didn't have a statute like that, but he won the election and he said, hey, it must have been something I said, so let me be the first witness before the Senate Business and Commerce Committee, and then was created the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. Well, thank you, General Hill. I go around today advocating for legalized cannabis and, you know, for for multiple reasons. And, And so to answer your second question, I'm much more about let's do the whole hog because yeah. You know, I, I think we've been hypocritical long enough. Oh, we're just going to put our foot in the water. I mean, the fact is, um, Texas stands to make money if we tax it at the moderate Colorado rate. And we'll we'll make the money instead of the cartel. Secondly, uh, jobs. And I'm not talking, Gramps, about temporary construction jobs. I mean, those will be great, too. But I mean, industry jobs. You know, a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, Uh, if you were daring enough to grow grapes in Texas and try to make wine out of it, you go to prison (laughs) because it was called prohibition. And then we got over that. Now I ask you, as I'm sure you've had a chance to, to drive from Austin, Texas up 290 to Fredericksburg on one glorious blue sky day. And you'll see no less than 50 wineries. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a cash crop. It's a tourism attraction. It's a job creator. The same could be said for cannabis. Uh, we just need government well, to catch up. They're already doing it on the hemp side. Sure. You know, sure. I see on Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and stuff all the time, different places here in Texas giving tours and this, that, and the other. You know, it, it's already happening w- without full legalization. So it, that argument's kind of... I mean, as far as the touring part and, you know, being out there, that tourism part is already there a little bit. But, yes, sure. we could we could expand it massively, obviously. And the job market, you're, you're, yeah, I, I kind of I argue with some people about that. You know, that some of those are low-paying jobs, but some of them are pretty good-paying jobs from what I've seen. And, and exactly. And, um, 
you know, we also want to get with the program like two thirds of the nation already have. Why should we be last on this one too? Exactly. But exactly. As, as far as, you know, should we do the whole kit and caboodle or just do a partial program like medicinal marijuana? I, I would point Oklahoma as an example. I mean, you know, first off, Oklahoma has a de facto legal cannabis industry because it's just so easy to get a, a prescription. Sure. And, and that's great. But, you know, that creates these little tent cities where doctors show up and go, all right, who want, who's next? You know, take a number. And they're just given these. I mean, that's great. Uh, and it's better than what Texas has. But I just think mm. Texas ought to be a leader. And and we are huge, <laughs> you know, and we, we can lead by example, uh, just like on school textbooks. You know, everyone buys our textbooks because just for our own use, we, we create so many. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's equity of scale. Likewise with cannabis, you know, and we have a lot of people here, a lot of veterans and military contractors who've retired here and chronic pain sufferers. And, you know, you talk about epilepsy in your son. I mean, how simple it would have been for a compassionate state who likes people, you know, government who likes people would have made that available. And Which, mind you, it, it is now for epileptics here in Texas. It is legal reason. now, but but uh, and now with the with the increase from 0.5 percent to to a full percentage, they're able to make comparable meds to just about any other state now. Right. So a lot of people don't understand that. But well, you know, at the time in 2016, of course, it wasn't. It took us till all the way to 2021 to get to that point. I mean, literally, Gramps, you're talking about just the recent, uh, mm -hmm. you know, September 1. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm glad they're at 1% instead of 0.5, but it needs to be 5.0. You know, it needs, well, to be it needs to be no limit, in my opinion. It needs to be up to medical doctors, not lawyers who have gotten elected as lawmakers. <laughs> no offense to you, sir, but sure. I well, mean... It, it's the same deal where they're telling a woman what their reproductive rights are, like it or not, letting the doctor be the doctor. Um, and, and so, but I, my, my heart goes out to you and your son. And, and I know that, that you have turned that tragic event into a, a good thing, which is your advocacy. And it's, it's really great to be able to, to work with, with you, Gramps and people like you, because, um, but, but, you know, the other aspect we haven't talked about, which is why I really do get excited about the full effect of legalization, mm -hmm. the social and criminal justice reform aspect. Sure. Uh, and what, what I ask people, and I'll ask you, Gramps, how, how much longer will Texas continue to arrest young adults? And let's be fair, typically young adults of color and uh, put them in a, prison, increasingly private prisons for possessing a flower that grows out of the ground so that shareholders can make a profit off their incarceration. It's, it's a sick society I've just described and we'll have none of it. Mm -hmm. um, but the best part about full legalization is what happens when we remove this wasteful, petty prosecution from the books. You know what we do? We fund the police. Yes. Yes. We fund the police because we'll save 300 million a year statewide. So the police and the prosecutors can fight real crime, not these little petty possession crimes. <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you where I've gone for my data and I'd, I'd love more sources, but they're a very good law firm. And you, you would expect a cannabis policy law firm to make, you know, information available to public advocates. Um, 
but it's Willie Nelson's favorite law firm, Vicente Cedarberg. And I think they're based out of Colorado, but they have an Austin office. And they very kindly sent their paper. Look, I read expert reports all the time as a trial lawyer. This one was well put together. It was annotated, had footnotes, easy to follow up and, and you know, go on, make me a doubter. You know, go ahead, check the sources. Well, okay. And uh, uh, they they had all the data and I was very, very pleased to read it. So I've been using it as a, as a what do you call it, a white paper or whatever, um, sort of a treatise, if you will, as you go around sure. the state. If anybody wants to read it, I'll, I'll give them a copy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about the criminal justice side of things, uh, say we go full out. We open the door, let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> we even we even got it. Home grow ability, the whole nine yards. Right. What about those who are still serving convictions? And And most importantly, what about those whose lives have been completely ruined by prior convictions for a crime that had no victim. Right. Uh, I mean, first off, I think it, it, I, I feel very comfortable saying these two things that, that if all you have, if the law changes, you know, we're like a new day in Texas, which I think mm-hmm. should, should happen in the next session. And I'll be the first witness, you know, I don't Republicans and Democrats agree. It's really Dan Patrick that keeps getting in the way and he, he needs to stop. Yeah, I but, know as you well know. But what I would say at minimum, at minimum, Gramps, is when the law passes, if there's anyone in jail and that's all they're in for is possession of recreational personal use, well, then they should be released immediately. And, you know, I I hope there's no people like that by that time. But, you know, if anyone's in jail for something like that, and we'd have to define what that amount is. Secondly, if, if someone has a record, even they pled out or it was just a, a, that needs to be expunged if that's all they did. Now, you know, if there are guns involved or if it was, you know, sure. Working for the Mexican cartels and, you know, having tons and tons of it, that's a different matter. But that, that is a very small universe. And, and most of the people that you, if you go down to any urban, you know, courthouse, most of the people are down there for like petty drug crimes and most of it's marijuana. I mean, if you, if you were to wave a magic wand, I mean, you'd just save so much time and money. And meantime, people would be making money by selling it in a legal regulated fashion. So you know what you're getting. And, and here's what I say, Gramps, to parents, you know, well, what about my children? Well, I understand, you know, uh, there's a black market right now, an illegal market that sells to your children. And, and, and having two children of my own, I would prefer the barrier to their use being a well-lit retail establishment with a sign that says, we card. Yeah. You know? Sure. Well, I have to ask you, uh, just because this is an obvious question that, that I think any Democrat in Texas is going to get. Or anybody running as a Democrat, as a Democrat in a typically red state, as well as for voters like me who typically vote a split ticket, what can you offer Texas Republican voters to try and get their votes? Hmm. Well, absolutely. First off, what every candidate should do, but so few do, which is transparency and accessibility. Um, transparency and accessibility, two related but separate things. 
as mayor of Galveston, when I would make an appointment to a board or a commission, or if I, you know, advocated for a certain position, I would write 500 word columns and I'd publish them in the, in the local paper. Can you imagine if you had a attorney general who was not embattled, like poor Ken, I don't even say, like Ken Paxton is, mm-hmm. where he's basically hiding out and just hanging out with people that agree with him. You know, he, he doesn't challenge himself at all. Can you imagine if you had someone who would be willing to go out to college campuses or law schools and recruit the youth uh, or, or great youth of all of all of Texas to public service? And if you explained your position on things. So that's number one. And, and transparency and accessibility. I mean, being able to have an open door policy like Jim Maddox used to have. I mean, that would be something that I think everyone would appreciate and it would be available to everyone, Democrats, Republicans, people would stop calling themselves by their tribal political name. <laughs> well, right. wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Okay. Number two, um, you know, I would offer a robust program um, that, that would seek a diverse leadership council. And, you know, this is something that both parties should get behind. I want, my deputies to look like the face of Texas. Okay. And, uh, you know, there'll be white men and women and there'll be men and women of color. So that's, that's going to be the new Texas. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're Democrat, doesn't mean you're Republican, but it'll be both. Number three, um, you know, as a mediator and somebody who has worked in a nonpartisan, uh, local government, uh, let's just assume I'm the only Democrat, for example, for purposes of this argument. You know, I'm going to work with good faith leaders of both parties. And, um, you know, because the lawyer ought to be there doing that. Um, the, the general counsel for the state of Texas, essentially. Sure. And, then, and then here's a final one. I don't want to list too many because then it's hard to follow up. But I think, you know, let's focus on human factors and consumer factors, things that don't have a label. For example... We all care about our children. Why is the foster care uh, such a disaster? You know, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about child support. You know, there's no Republican or Democrat child, but they need to know that if they're born in this state and someone's holding out on on them, there needs to be resources brought to bear. And then finally, Gramps, here's one that I think is a very specific uh, task. I'd like to be remembered as the Attorney General who kept the private health insurance companies feet to the fire. Look, I'm a big fan of private health insurance. I'm not really a sure. big advocate for Medicare for all. I understand the argument for it, but let someone else make that. I'm, I'm, that's not where, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily oppose it, but I'm not advocating for it. Okay. You understand that? Sure. And, and, but you know, my law firm, you know, pays for private health insurance that covers my employees and my family. And so I kind of like knowing that I paid a premium, which gives me rights against my health insurance company. Most people have no idea how to leverage those rights. And, and the Texas GOP has been very insurance friendly. All I know is that insurance companies are telling doctors every day, no, you can't do that. It's called prior authorization and it's abused mm-hmm. horribly. Meantime, I read articles about United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Texas, making billions of profits for their shareholder. And look, it's America. I want you to make a profit. I want you to succeed. 
corporations, mm-hmm. humans alike. But there's a little too much going on there, to be honest with you. So I'd like yeah. to dial, I'd like to dial it back a little bit in favor of the consumer. And you wouldn't even have to be too mean about it, but if you needed to, you sure could. And that is let these people know I'm on you about this pro- this prior authorization abuse. I want to be the AG who manifestly protects the doctor patient relationship. Sure. Tell my listeners and the rest of the people here in Texas where they can find you, find your website, where they can join up if they want to join up, uh, you know, uh, let them know where you're at. Absolutely. Gramps. Um, the, um, website is where everything starts and that is jaworski for texas.com and those are three words my name f-o-r-t-e-x-a-s.com so there's no abbreviations or anything jaworski for texas.com and and you'll see on there you know uh, all our social media handles twitter facebook instagram uh twitter for those that follow that jaworski for TX and Instagram and Facebook are both Jaworski for Texas, just like the website. And, you know, we got a YouTube channel and uh, there's just a lot of detail and data on our website. So I'd ask you to spend a little time checking it out. Most importantly is the contribution link because we like to be real transparent about it. We are raising money so that we can make ads that persuade people that ethics and integrity matter in the attorney general's office. Ken Paxton will, will not be able to debate me or anyone else on that matter. Um, mm-hmm. So we just have to tell people time and again, look at Joe Jaworski because you have a lawyer here who's ready to serve you, who is not under indictment, who does care about people as opposed to ideology. And I, my intention is not to get on TV and you know talk about, you know, how conservative or liberal I am. I, I want to actually treat the people of Texas like I've treated clients for 30 years as a lawyer. Treat them well, treat them with respect, return their calls and and give them hope. Give them an answer and a problem, you know? Sure, sure. And, and so people can find me and, you know, they can also find me in person because we've done 110 visits around the state and we go uh, to some unexpected places. I mean, uh, last weekend, uh, my goodness, we were in, in San Antonio for a beautiful rally at Backyard on Broadway. And the weekend before that, uh, you know, we were in Poteet and Castroville and Carrizo Springs and Eagle Pass and Del Rio. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a West Texas swing a couple of months ago, Ooh. you know, Mar- Marathon, Marfa, Alpine, uh, Presidio, uh, Terlingua. Come on. There you go. <laughs> Fort Davis, Fort Stockton. I mean, it's just awesome. And so I love Tyler. I'm going to be in Tyler October 2nd. I'm going to be in Dallas October 7th. I'll okay. be in El Paso this weekend, the 25th of September. Okay. Good to know. Well, that's it for the show tonight. And I want to thank you again, Joe, for joining me here on Grant's Place. You got it, brother. And as always, I'd like to thank my listeners for, for joining us. Without you, there's no point in me doing this. Grants Plays, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else you can think of. Brought to you by Something Has to Change and Now, working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. 
For more information, visit www.facebook.com slash something has to change and now. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcast or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.